Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the TNT show. I'm John Drummond, and I'm your host for the next 60, and I guarantee you exciting minutes. I'm so glad that you've joined us this evening. You know, it's been another great day for British democracy. We learned today <laughs> that the England football team refused to come to a Downing Street reception uh, with Prime Minister Johnson, thereby showing, I would suggest to you that there are rather more taste than the electorate south of the border. And of course, they have very good reasons for being uh, apprehensive about meeting uh, Johnson, who rather calamitously uh, was taken to task by Ian Blackford this afternoon in PMQs. If you didn't see that, I strongly recommend that you uh, watch the recording. He was on top form, and uh, I'm not sure there's anything close to top form for the PM. Thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, tonight, we are talking to Mike Russell, president of the SNP, and Mike is here to talk about his new role in providing political direction to the Independence Task Force at HQ in the SNP, and so much more besides. TNT, as you know, stands for The Nation Talks, and tonight, The Nation Talks to Mike Russell. How are you, Mike? How are you coping with the pandemic? I'm, I'm, I'm grand. I mean, the pandemic has affected us all. It's affected the way we see the world, um, and it's affecting our thinking going forward now and how we're going to recover. But uh, I'm grand, and it's, there are far worse places to live out a pandemic than rural Argyll, I have to tell you. I speak as a former MSP for Argyll and Butte, but I'm sitting here in rural Argyll, and I'd be happy to continue to do so for a long time to come. I notice you've got the window open there. Is that because it's hot in Argyll? Well, it's, it's moderately hot. For Argyll, it's hot. Uh, <laughs> that's probably a qualification, but it's also midgy. So if you look at the window very closely, it's got a midge screen in it, and uh, that is what I need. But uh, it's a great spot to be, and uh, you know, Argyll and Butte is a fantastic place. Put in the put in the commercial for it now. Anybody who decides to get away and have a staycation, Argyll and Butte is your place. There you are, folks. Heed that good advice, please. Mike, tell us about your new role. What are you doing, uh, SAP president, right now? Well, I mean, I was elected president last uh, November, and I was uh, grateful and 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 I have to say a bit astonished. I mean, I, I think of the presidency as having people like Billy Wolf and and Winnie Ewing, and it was amazing to be amongst them. Um, and I suppose I took it on on the basis that there wouldn't be that much to do, and I have to say that's not been the case. I've been very busy over the last um, period. I said I wanted to talk about independence and to take the independence cause forward. Also said I wanted to help members and to to talk for members, and you know it's been a difficult time in the party and probably the most difficult time that I remember. And I joined, you know, in 1974 and trying to to keep the ship steady during that time, to be a voice of reason. And there's been a lot of voices that have lacked reason, I have to say, in the debate. And then after I left the Parliament, there was some discussion about whether I would continue to play a role in the independence movement and. You're know, very keen to be a foot soldier for independence. It's what I believed in all my career. And um, I was asked by, by Nicola and then by the NEC if I would provide some political direction to the work that HQ and the party is doing on, on independence because I was, of course, responsible for the constitution and government latterly and indeed had been several times during the work that I'd done. So I said yes. And, and what I see myself doing is in that classic phrase of... of, 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 of uh, a Jackie Stewart under promising and overachieving. I just wanted to start the work in HQ or move on the work in HQ to communicate with members, 
to build the campaign, to make sure we're ready to campaign, to make sure that members and others are equipped to campaign. So we need to provide a flow of information to build the case and to make sure that the focus is on independence. And that's what I will very much try and do uh, over the, the next period. And that's what I've started to do. Members would have received um, uh, information from me two weeks ago. I hope they'll get something more this week and we'll keep that information flowing. We'll build a campaign. I hope we'll resource and inform members. Uh, and I'm hoping just to keep an eye on that to make sure it happens. Well, that sounds, that sounds very uh, progressive. Um, yes, I, I'm reading from your press release here. You want to engage and work with all party members and all YES supporters in other groups. Does that include Alaba? Well, I mean, I, I hope so, but I think that the ball would be very much in their court. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to fall out with anybody. There are people in Alaba whom I like and respect, but I do think the rhetoric we've heard has been somewhat unfortunate, to tell you the truth. Um, and I think there needs to be a positivity in those whom we work with. I went and spoke on uh, a week ago to the, um, the National Yes Network, uh, and I was very happy to do so. And I'm not there to tell them what to do. I'm not there to, to lecture them or hector them. I'm here, there to hear what people are saying and to find ways in which we can work together. That would be the basis of the work I would do with anybody. Okay. But I'm not going along to, to admit to a series of crimes. You know, I'm not going along to say, you know, that something terrible has happened because it hasn't. Um, yeah. So I think that would have to be on mutual respect. And if there's mutual respect, now, you know, one of the problems we've got ourselves into, John, and it's, it's interesting to start with this, is we can differ on issues of policy. You know, there are, there are issues that divide me from others on issues of policy about, you know, attacking the so-called woke nature of some of the things the SNP is doing. The woke is actually a, an honorable term for what it, where it comes mm -hmm. from. And we can deliver on policy and we can deliver on personality but we should find a common cause in independence. Okay. And that should well, you know, allow us to be positive civilized. That sometimes pretty, that's not happening. So but you, you would have no problem in principle in working with people from Alaba if they wanted to work with you. I think we would have to establish a relationship of trust. And if that could be done, of course. Yes, yes, because you, at the beginning you're saying you're happy to work with all YES supporters. And one would assume that included Alaba. Yes, and, and I think you know the Yes movement is very strong and very powerful, and the SNP is not the only part of it. Exactly, it is a large part of it. Uh, you know, it is the largest part of it, but it's not the only part of it. But I think you know, I just stress this, John. We have to have mutual respect, and we have to be able to work positively with one with another. And and I really am looking to see that happen. Good. Well, that sounds very constructive. And um, one question we did get earlier was. Uh, about the work at HQ. The question is how much work is being done uh, by how many people uh, for IndyRef2? And are these folks working towards a specific date? And will all the questions, say, regarding pensions, for example, be answered comprehensively? And how involved will the Greens be in all of this? Those are big questions. First of all, the Greens, that's not my decision. Uh, you know, that's a negotiation that's taking place between parties but I'm not unsympathetic to it. And it seems to me that there is a commonality of purpose, certainly in terms of independence, which is useful, but the details of that really are for the parliamentary parties and the parties you know, at a national level mm. to, to work out. Yes, on the, the key issues, we were doing a lot of work. You know, we did a lot of work before 2014. There's a lot of that material that's still relevant. There's others that needs to be updated. That work was going on. It came to an end in 
16th of March 2020, when yeah. the pandemic took over and we all the resources of government were moved to that. We can go back and make sure that that work is done. Some of that work is done is best done in government space. You know, this is the official policy of the government, which is to put the question before the people of Scotland. That's entirely legitimate and it should be done in government space. It's other work that we can do as a party. I think we need to look at the, RH, the SNP HQ uh, you know, and, and recognize that this is the HQ has won more elections in recent times than any other. You know, in fact, I, I would probably argue since in the last 50 years, the mm -hmm. SNP HQ has been remarkably successful in election winning. So it has done that and it has put us in the position to have a government to deliver a referendum. Now, there is work now that needs to be done to move on for the information flow to go more widely out about independence, as it did in 2014. Yeah. The HQ was devoted to the issues of the campaign from about, I suppose, about the middle of 2013. That is, needs to happen again. But you know, I'm there to help that happen and to help more talented staff to take that forward, uh, to make sure the party is focused in that way. So rather than you know, saying, what aren't they doing? I would say, what are they doing and how are they going to build to do that? Yeah, that, that, that was the question, in fact. How much work is being done and how many people are involved? The, 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 the task of HQ, apart from you know, servicing the party and, and trying to deal with that, a party that's grown very massively, is moving towards focusing on independence, and, and it should do. Now, of course, we've also got local government elections next year. Those are important to us. We are not an abstentionist party. I know people are asking questions in the in the chat bar about whether we should be an abstentionist mm. party. Uh, you know, we're not an abstentionist party. We want to win local authorities. So there's local authority elections. There's independence campaign. You know, those are things to which the focus is turning, and I'm sure the resource that we need in HQ is there. As we know, the money is there. That money raised is available, and you know, I'm discussing with the chief executive how that money is is allocated. You know, all that is there and is focused on what we can achieve. Okay. In terms of reporting lines, do you report to HQ or does HQ report to you in this regard? Well, neither. I report to the National Executive Committee on this because the NEC has asked me to do the job. So therefore, I will you know, keep the NEC briefed about what I'm doing. I will work closely with the staff. And, and you know, I'm a, there are only two people who have been the SNP Chief Executive, Peter Marlow and myself. So I know how it works. You know, and Peter is in charge of the staff and he should be, and we will communicate on that basis. I'm not going to take the staff management role okay. because, you know, I'm not a paid um, servant of anybody. I'm, I'm doing this as, as the elected honorary president. I'm not receiving salary yeah. of any description. I saw some incredible tweeting about this. If only that were the yeah. case, I'd either ask for money or nothing. So I work closely with them and you know, we will do it collaboratively. Okay, you work for you work with them, but not for them. I, I got that. Um, yeah. So, so it, we always have two chief, chief executives, though. So by the sounds of it. Um, oh no, 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 no! Absolutely <laughs> not. I didn't say that. That's I'm there very much to provide a political focus and direction, but I'm not there to to run teams of people. I'm there to work with people. We've got a very good yeah. staff, you know, and that's what we need to do. There are people from all parts of of, of the staff right across the party working for parliamentary groups and things like that. There's a really good group of people. I hope I can just add value to them. Okay. Do, do you feel that the, the Sustainable Growth Commission report adds value? Well, it did when it was commissioned, but that was quite a time ago. I'm, I'm not going to diss the Sustainable Growth Commission. 
I'm not going to diss any of the work that other people have done, but I think you know, we have to recognize, and I think Nicola did this herself some time ago, that times have changed. You know, Brexit and COVID have changed everything. It's important that we, we interrogate anew all the decisions that we have reached up until now. Uh, you know, and, okay. you know, before just to anticipate your question, that, that obviously means whilst we have a policy on currency, it deserves to be interrogated anew. So you wouldn't necessarily support the original view, which says uh, an independent Scotland for a considerable amount of time, perhaps up to 10 years, will use sterling and won't move to an independence currency unless six, uh, according to this questioner, very arbitrary tests have been met. You don't hold that anymore. Well, no, I, I believe that is the policy we have. I, I don't think there should be a policy vacuum. What I'm saying is it is entirely legitimate to say what has changed, how have things changed, how have the economic circumstances changed, how has our relation, Brexit you know, has changed our relationship with with, with Europe massively, okay. how do we move on from that? So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I, I have, I'm not renouncing that policy. It's not my position to renounce anything. This is party policy. But I am saying, I think most people would accept we need to keep thinking about it and renewing it as is relevant. Well, in that case, you might be interested in one of the programs on India Live, which is called uh, Scotonomics. Uh, and the host there, William Thompson, is taking a close look at the whole range of activities right across uh, Scotland, uh, looking at the economics of, of, of the Sustainable Growth Commission, looking at the economics from a, a, a range of different perspectives. Uh, and that's on uh, pretty much weekly on India Live. I would strongly uh, commend it to, to your team uh, because William, I think, does an outstanding job. Uh, in fact, you may want to come on his show uh, if you feel it might be helpful, because, uh, like I say, he, he's, he's pretty much got his act together there. Uh, you, you, you made the point earlier, Mike, about, uh, you know, there's a time that many people are asking on the, on the question line, uh, wh when are we going to have this Section 30? And I suspect, in part, you will probably say, well, when the COVID is, is under control. Is there any other factors that condition I'm not going to make that decision. This is a decision that has to be made by the Scottish Parliament. You know, let, let's wind this back to, to, to where we actually were in the run-up to the election. We agreed we would publish the final part of the referendum legislation. Two parts have already been passed. The Franchise Bill, you know, Michael Gove and, and, and George Galloway may negotiate franchise, but it's completely irrelevant because the Franchise Bill is passed and we know what the franchise is going to look for, like. And that is anybody who's legally resident in Scotland. We have the detail of how a referendum is organized. We never had that before. We had a referendum bill. The final part is the legislation that sets the question, the time, and one or two other details. We published that in draft form. The, it was, we committed ourselves in the manifesto to use that. It, our manifesto was endorsed by the people of Scotland very convincingly, as a result of which then that's what we'll follow. And what we said was, we would introduce that bill when we thought it was safe to do so, to have a full normal campaign, because this has yeah. to be open and normal. We have to talk to people, it has to work yeah. now. Once yeah. we put that through, we will hold a referendum. Now we, we will request a section 30 order too, but it, you know, we will hold a referendum. So the choice of the UK government, and that's where the ball lies, will be threefold. It could grant a section 30 order and say, well, we were always going to, we were just joking. It could say 
we're, we're, we're not interested in Section 30, but we'll let you do it anyway. Or it could take the Scottish government to court. The ball is in their yeah. court. And that's how it should be, because the commitment from the SNP government is to deliver that referendum. And that's yeah. what will take place. But it's only right to do that when we are able to do it. And when most people want it to happen, when they believe it will contribute to the recovery, but it will not impede that recovery. And that's, that's yeah. really important, you know, because people are worried. And quite clearly, the figures we see worry people. They don't want us to be focused entirely on something that does not further the recovery at this stage. So this is a fine judgment. It's a judgment I trust the Scottish Parliament to make, and I'm sure it will make it. Well, that, that is very straightforward. In fact, you're going to say that uh, when the threat of the pandemic poses to the people of Scotland have been reduced very significantly, and normal campaigning is fully possible. Who decides that? Oh, that, that would be a decision for the Scottish Parliament to make. I mean, this is a bill of the Scottish Parliament. You know, so that's a decision that is made by the government. Uh, that government presently is the SNP. Whether there are green representatives in it or not will be a matter above my pay grade, I have to say. But at some stage, that will be decided by the Scottish Parliament. Yeah, well, that, that does make sense. Um, the um, what criteria will establish whether the pandemic is under control or not? Well, again, that will be for the, the Scottish government to decide. I mean, I, you know, I've sat as a member of cabinet during the pandemic. I know that there's a huge amount of data that goes through and past, you know, I think they will be looking to forward on the projections that they see. They will be looking at what they know, and you know, we're dealing with politicians about normal campaign activity. And we'll say, when do those two come together? And yeah. so there's a lot of judgment to be applied, but I trust the people who have run us through this pandemic to help us get that right through. Yeah. I mean, there is one issue that crops up all the time, and it's represented by many of our uh, watchers and listeners tonight uh, and those who've um, submitted questions. And their concern is this, uh, and it's a reasonable concern in my view, is that uh, we, we know the Prime Minister uh, is not to be trusted. Uh, when I say we, I think I'm probably speaking for about 80% of the population. Uh, minus, of course, the 45% the opinion polls tell us will vote for his re-election uh, south of the border. But nonetheless, we have a situation here where uh, a man who has, who has presented himself as manifestly untrustworthy. Uh, how could you deal with someone like that? People are confused. They say, how can you work with somebody like that? Well, you can't In fact, you said earlier, you said, well, right now they're saying... I have more experience of dealing with the UK government, to be honest, than almost any Scottish politician. I mean, you know, I had five years uh, as a member of the Joint Ministerial Committee on European Negotiations. I'm the only person who attended every single meeting of that. I bear the scars of it. So I'm not saying, you know, this is all going to be you know, gentlemanly and you know, we're going to shake hands on it. That's not going to happen. That's why we need to be very single minded on what we are going to do uh, and, that's, and put the ball in their court rather than uh, you know, okay. pressure on us. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I trust Boris Johnson to do anything. I'm saying I'm absolutely crystal clear about what we are going to do, which is the bill is in draft form, the bill can be introduced when it is safe to do so, <laughs> we can move forward, we can hold a referendum, and it'll be up to them to challenge it. I think that deals but, so the, with the untrustworthy yeah. nature of the UK government. So, so let's, just, let's take the position that they say, as they've already indicated, Michael Gove has been categorical about this. He said there's going to be no referendum, he says. Oh, Michael Gove uh, is never categorical. 
Michael Gove is <laughs> Michael Gove is always there's always just a bit of wriggle room, you know. Um, I once said on a on a Sky News interview it, when they were I used the word sleek it, and the Sky yeah. News interviewer didn't understand it and said I said think sleek it think Michael Gove, and that is it. He will he does not mean to say it won't happen. But look that, that you know that's mind games. One of the problems yeah. is presently in, in Scottish politics. We are playing their mind games. Let's stop playing their mind games. Yeah. We know what we are going to do, which is okay. the bill okay. is there. The bill will be introduced. The bill will pass right. the parliament. The referendum okay. will be set. And then okay. it is up to them. Okay? I, I know that you made that very plain. But the reality is that if you're dealing with somebody who's not trustworthy, and you know how untrustworthy it is, because you say you've been there and you've seen it at work, uh, what's the stop? Because it's, it isn't within their gift. What is to stop the Westminster Parliament abolishing the Scottish Parliament? Oh, well, there's, there's two things that to stop them abolishing the Westminster Parliament, and it could happen. Uh, the first of which is that they, according to the laws that exist now, that they could change it, there would need to be a referendum. But the second one is public sentiment and public feeling. You know, it, you know, I think, I'm not saying bring it on, but I do think a move to abolish the Scottish Parliament would galvanise the process of independence. That's why I don't think it will happen. I think what will happen, and this is this is a much more subtle danger, is the gradual undermining of the Scottish Parliament and its powers, as we've seen mm. with the Internal Market Bill. And that is why this isn't an open-ended process. One of the pressures on this process is time. But we have to juggle the issue of time with the issue of the pandemic, and it's not easy. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, if, if Boris Johnson were to say tomorrow, and, I, you know, I, I think he's... Not only do I think he, that he is, as a Tory, not fond of devolution. As a Brexiteer, he finds the idea of anybody else having power and sharing power to be unacceptable. There's also yeah. a very limited understanding of what devolution is south of the border. All of those things work against it. But this isn't hard and fast, but it's it, it just, there's a sense in which this argument always goes, well, what's, what if he does this, what if he does that? We need to take control, I'm sorry to use that term, of what we do, and I go back to the clarity of the independence referendum bill. What was I, I think I think that's where people are slightly concerned, if I may say so, is that the, the you, you say take control. Uh, uh, take control on what basis, what authority would you have to take control? I mean, for example, if I was sitting in Westminster and I heard you using terminology like take control, I would say, no, I'm in control. I, I devolved a bit of control to you guys. Uh, far from respecting that, you're talking to me about taking control. Uh, the sovereignty control is vested in me. The control is there in the referendum bill. The control is there in the, ma in the mandate and the referendum bill, which we are committed now to introduce. People seem to have you know, bought into a, an interpretation of this, that we, we haven't actually had an election, endorsed the referendum bill which was published, are intending to introduce it, and will move forward with it. Okay. That is, in my view, the cast iron guarantee. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here, you know, involved in taking the independence issue forward if I didn't believe that that was what was going to happen. The only dubiety in it is the timing because of the pandemic. Uh, yeah, I think that's another concern that people have. That they, they, they see, uh, and, and she attracts an enormous degree of credit for this. The first minister saying, "Look, I'm not going to be." Uh, campaigning during a pandemic. It's just the wrong thing to do. It's morally wrong. Uh, and it's just the wrong thing to do in, in other respects. However, 
there's no such feeling at Westminster. Uh, no. They just carry straight on. If they're now talk about the internal market bill and the likelihood is if they're going to go down any route, it won't be abolishment because that would be that would be political suicide. But they would probably go down the business of postponement or, uh, or uh, a temporary suspension in order that the UK government can pass resources directly to local authorities. Um, and because the Scottish Parliament's just getting in the way, it's inefficient, it doesn't manage the NHS well. I mean, anyone who's read any right-wing commentators knows that, that this is the story that's being, that's being crafted here. Uh, and all the time we've got Scotland waiting, waiting and waiting to oh, do... Don't wait, just say the story isn't true. I mean, John, I, I'm, I'm often astonished by this, to hear people say what you've said. You, know, you, 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 you are to some extent simply reflecting what you're reading from elsewhere. Don't reflect it. Argue against it. Tell us mm -hmm. what the truth is. You know, and that's what I try to do, and that's what everybody in my view should be trying to do. I do not accept their narrative. I, ex I think the narrative I am bought into is, a, is a na the narrative that is true. Yeah. So you know, stop absorbing the, the negativity from our opponents and project the positivity of what we're going to do. I can only put it that way. I think I think that would be greatly aided by uh, if there were some pronouncement of some kind about uh, where sovereignty lies. Well, we've said that. I mean, I mean, it's as if you try and keep reinventing the wheel. Look, we know that sovereignty lies with the Scottish people. We know that that is the case. We know that that is Lord Cooper's judgment in 1953. Uh, you know, we, we recognise, interestingly enough, and that is also the view of the current First Minister of Wales, Mark Drakeford, who was my opposite number in Brexit, whom I'm, you know, I think very highly of, you know, although he's not a nationalist, you know, he has that view of sovereignty. That's there. It's, it's like constant reassurance you're needing. I don't mind giving constant reassurance, but there is no question in my mind that that is the situation in Scotland, and that is what we have to project and postulate as we move forward with this argument. It's interesting. I don't accept uh, any other argument. Well, I, I, I would agree with you. I think, I think the, the key here is about the issue of sovereignty. You either believe it rests with the Scottish people or you believe that it rests somewhere else. And that's the big divide. It rests with the Scottish people. I don't just believe that. That's the Scottish position. Yeah. And therefore, you know, we, there was a, I'm sorry to wind this back, but let me wind it back to what I think is a seminal moment. And that is the moment in, when the SNP decided to go with devolution in, in 1997. And I was part of that decision. I, you know, I negotiated alongside Alex Salmon you know, with Donald Dewar and others. Um, there was a very famous national council that made the final decision to take part in, mm -hmm. in, 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 the, in the referendum. We decided that the route to independence lay through devolution. If we had decided otherwise, we would be living in, in different circumstances. We can't actually say now we've changed our mind. If the route to independence lies through devolution, there are disadvantages of devolution that we have to work our way through. And that is, that is the issue. So we have to work our way through them. Some people talk as if those disadvantages of devolution never existed. We had no part of it. We weren't willingly a part of it. And therefore, we'll just forget them. They are yeah. there. But the bridge between those two things is having a Scottish government, which is an SNP government, that can deliver a referendum. That right. is what converts one to the other. And that's what we should, we should be strong about, glad to make sure it works. Yeah. 
Okay, thank you. Can we move on to the constitution? Um, you, you were in charge of the constitution for some time. Uh, and uh, one of the questions that's come up here is somebody has sent us a copy of the constitution of the Scottish National Party, in which uh, the first part is the name of the party. The second is the aims. And the first aim of the party uh, says that uh, independence for Scotland, that is the restoration of Scottish national sovereignty by restoration of the full powers to the Scottish Parliament, so that its authority is limited only by the sovereign power of the Scottish people to bind it with a written constitution. Where is the written constitution? Well, it depends how you believe that written constitution should be drawn up. Um, my personal... oh, no, hold, on, hold on a second, Mike. This has been the policy of the SNP now for how many years? There have been attempts to draft a written constitution, but you don't have to have a written constitution. You can't have a written constitution as a text until you've got a state. My view, for well, what no, it is, with respect, other countries do it and they have an interim constitution as the moving towards the Yeah, interim constitution because they've voted for independence. It's an interim no, constitution. No, no, with respect, it, it, was in, it was in Scotland's future booklet. There was an interim constitution. Yes, I and know. Vote, and we didn't vote for it. We didn't vote for independence, so it was null and void. But it, but, but it was put before the Scottish people as part of the package. So you don't have to and wait no, for no, independence. And it, was, and it was rejected. I mean, you know, let's not, let's not split hairs on this. I would like to see a constitution drawn up, and I'm particularly attracted to this because I was the minister that started the Citizens' mm. Assembly, by a essentially a, 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 a Citizens' Assembly type process. The Citizens mm -hmm. of Scotland should draw up the constitution. There is a debate about other ways of doing a constitution. There are some people who have attempted a, what they call a blockchain constitution, mm -hmm. and, and, and they're very aggressive in selling that idea. I'm not, I'm not persuaded by them. I am not persuaded by them at all. I'm happy to say that. I, I wish I was, it'd make my life simpler. Um, I think there is an argument for an interim constitution during the process of the referendum, and that's what we did in 2014, where there was an interim constitution being drawn up. You would need that to operate between the date of independence and a final constitution. I'd like the citizens of Scotland to be the framers of their constitution. Okay. I, I, and I think that you can do that through a um, essentially a, a crowdsourced constitution, right. and I'd be very happy to do that. And I think you also need some, I think you also need some glitz and polish on a constitution. You know, I mean, a constitution should be high-minded high and high-sounding. Uh, and therefore, you know, I have had conversations, I'm not going to say with whom, with Scottish writers, you know, you know my involvement in cultural matters, mm -hmm. uh, about how they would help us to write yeah. a constitution okay. that actually was, you know, the type of constitution with which one is familiar you know, else, elsewhere. Have you, spoken, Ireland, have you spoken to Elliot Bloomer on this subject? Well, I know about Elliot's work and, and I know who he is and I've met him a couple of times, but I haven't, I haven't asked him to write something because I know his, his, he has his thoughts. I have said no to some people when I was in office and I know they didn't like that, but I've said no to them because I didn't think they were approaching this in a way that was helpful. So just to be clear, uh, the SNP has been in existence for what? six decades, seven decades, uh, and it has yet to uh, fulfill the second aim that it laid down back then. It has yet to fulfill its first aim, which is independence. I mean, you know, you know John, that's a, that's a pejorative way of putting it. I mean, 
I'm not accusing you of, um, of being a unionist journalist, but I've heard unionist <laughs> journalists argue the same sort of argument, you know. Uh, no, they, they, I think if I remember correctly, Neil McCormack was involved in drafting an outline mm. constitution. Yeah. These are documents which are important and useful, and they will be important and useful when the people of Scotland have voted for independence, because there will be a period of time between voting for independence and Independence Day. You need to put into place an interim constitution then, and then you need to put in place a final constitution. That strikes me as absolutely sensible and relevant. Yeah. Um, there is, of course, another aim of the SNP, and I remember this from, um, from uh, my time as party chief executive, which is the furtherance of all Scottish interests. Yeah. It's also something that the party has been very effective with in my yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree with that. Well, one of the questions I put to, uh, just before we move on from constitutions per se, uh, I put to Andrew Wilson, who was our guest on the show, and we were talking about the Sustainable Growth Commission. And the point I put to him was this. Um, how do you know what sort of growth you want unless you have established clear values and principles, i.e. you know what society as a total is aiming for, what what it regards as desirable. Wouldn't you have to know that before you established what sort of growth you wanted? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, how come that didn't happen? And his answer was, because I wasn't asked to do that. No, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think that you do. And I think there is an issue in here. And I saw it graphically demonstrated at a YES event I did some time ago. Uh, there is an issue in here about saying we can focus a lot on the minutiae of independence, so to speak. We need to focus on the changed country that we want to have. I heard somebody at one of these meetings speak very eloquently about the fact that she had been a no voter. 2014, she, she wanted to vote yes now. And she did it on the basis that she wanted a fair and just society and she'd come to the view that that couldn't be done. Yeah. Um, I think, and I, I, know I entirely agree with that. And therefore, what we're talking about tonight, probably in my mind is saying to me, we probably need to return to the issue when we return to the issue of the constitution on that high level so that we can express what that looks like. Now, you know, in policy terms, some of that's happening. Well, the well-being economy, for example, mm. is an expression of the type of society we wish to see. So I think that's an important contribution and we need to take it forward. It, it still seems slightly out of kilter to a lot of people because they would say, well, the constitution is the, fund of, it's the foundation and then you can build the rest of the house on top of that. What, we, what seems to be happening in the minds of some people is that the kitchen has been designed, uh, the, the, some of the windows have been put in place, but there isn't any agreement on the foundation. No, I, no I, I, just, I disagree with that. I think, that, you know, I, I, think, I think probably I'm going to use the analogy in the other way around and say the constitution is the roof that you put on, and we have to put that roof on. And we need to decide what that roof likes. We may have a tarpaulin to start with, but we need to decide what that roof is like eventually. There's a really good book, and I'm trying to remember its name. Uh, it came out earlier this year or at the end of last year about constitutions and 19th century constitutions and the, and the race to make constitutions. And yeah. you know, there was a lot of constitution writing, but not many of them became constitutions of states. And we should remember that too. Mm. Well, it, it, it's not a perfect process, but state building is not a perfect process. I, I would certainly maintain that uh, it's, that's entirely the wrong way around. A it's constitution a tough problem of any kind, I would say. It's definitely the foundation. But I would, I'll, I'll move on to a point that you made. Uh, you, you say in your uh, news release, the debate must, about, it, it must be about, in the great words of John Adams, who, of course, was 
the uh, United States second president, uh, quotes, beginning government anew from the foundations and building as we choose is, is the aim. But of course, John Adams already had the advantage of a constitution to do, do that building on. Yes, he did. And he had the advantage of a constitutional assembly. The convention had drawn up that constitution. He was also uh, the second, as you point out, the second president of, of an independent country and the first vice president. I am not the president of an independent country, nor the vice president, <laughs> nor you. So we are not there yet. So if you want to come back to me after independence sometime, if I'm still around, and I hope I am still around, uh, you know, then if we haven't got a constitution by then, you can criticize me. Uh, no, nobody's criticizing. What we're simply asking is elucidation, uh, not criticism. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think get the timescale sorted in your head there. Uh, well, okay. I, again, I would rather dispute that, I'm, I'm afraid. Uh, we've had questions here about, uh, Colin Jackson is asking, uh, would a resolution to conference on the subject of a constitution be accepted as competent, do you think? Well, I mean, it's not to me. I mean, I, I, I'm not even a member of the conference committee. I mean, I, you know, I, if there was a resolution saying there should be a constitution a week on Wednesday, I'd say, I think there are some things that are more important, but that's my view. Uh, you know, I would also, if there's to be a constitution drawn up, I would want to very much say, how are you going to do this? Because involving the people of Scotland in doing that yeah. strikes me as much more important in the 21st century than sending away you know, uh, some experts, uh, no matter how expert, or how little expertise they have, which is also the case sometimes, to draw something up. So, uh, you know, I, I'd want to debate that, but I, I, don't, I don't decide on resolutions for conference. Many years since I did that, I have no desire to do that again. I think you're right. I think the contemporary uh, uh, practice uh, of state building and constitution building is predicated upon exactly the process you described, which is that uh, a group of um, interested and clearly authoritarian people get together, but then they produce a draft. And it's the people who decide if the draft works or not. Well, the, the, the citizens' assembly process has been, in my view, very successful. It is, I think, participative democracy yeah. is only in its early years. I think yeah. we can do so much with it. And I would want to say, see a structure such as a participative democracy structure drawing up a constitution. And actually, I'm really impressed by what happened with the first citizens' assembly in Scotland. I mean, I was really enthusiastic. I pushed it through. You know, we looked at a lot of experience elsewhere, and it, it, it came up with a really radical vision of Scotland. Yeah. I think the constitution writing, citizens' assembly, would be a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. Now, just, I want to uh, mention a couple of things. Uh, Richard Halligan has written to say, firstly, a big thank you to Mr. Russell for all his services to Scotland. As politicians go, I'd say you were one of the rare gems, sir. <laughs> And then there's a stick in the pit here. What are, our, what are your personal thoughts on sterilization? But we've I'm dealt not, with that. We've dealt I'm, with I'm, that. I'm not going to get involved. We're not, we're not doing I'm, that again. We're I'm one of the least qualified people to talk about. <laughs> I, I really do want other people to do that. I will yeah. be content with what they decide. Yeah. Yeah. And just to summarize, you, you'd be. Nice. Richard, thank you very much. It's really kind of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, most of our viewers and listeners are kind. They, 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 uh, they have a point to, to put. But just before we leave the Constitution, for the very last time, you'd be comfortable with the idea of uh, a Constitution building through the, a citizens' assembly process? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where it's going to happen. I think our okay. difference would be on when it starts. 
Yeah. You know, okay. But I mean, I, I think that is how it should be. And that's yeah. what I'd love to encourage. Okay. Fiona McGregor uh, is asking this question. What can we do to help you, Michael? Well, I think the first thing you can do is as the material starts to flow out, you can find imaginative ways to use it and to build the debate. And I think we should all be talking to other people about independence and we should be encouraging and helping people to do so. SNP College has courses on that. There's lots of material coming, not just from the party, but from people like Business for Scotland and stuff like that. We should be raising the debate. I think that the lots of people want to contribute to the policy process on independence. And I don't think we've been, I don't think there are clear routes for that to happen apart from the party's routes. And I am concerned about that. And I'm looking at how that might change. But it is discussing with people, campaigning, building knowledge, being enthusiastic, being positive. And let's accept that this is going to be a process. We're now into the process. We don't know precisely when the referendum will be, but that process has started and we're moving forward. So let's get together with it. Let's work through our local yes groups. I think that's you know, pretty much to be encouraged in most places. Those groups retaining the identity as a party, but working within those groups is a very good idea. Being positive and being engaged, not just with people who believe the things that you believe. I mean, most people are watching this, think independence is a good idea. There are people out there who don't, and there are people out there who are on the middle, on the cusp. Let's draw them yep. towards us and, and, and really stress that point. Nobody is unreachable. I mean, I remember Winnie saying regularly, that the only difference between those places, and we're talking about 1970s, 1980s, that voted for the SNP and didn't, was that the places that voted had been worked. People were out there working. And nobody is unreachable, and we should have those conversations with whoever we can. And let's build that support. I mean, you know, when there's, when there's a, you know, each of us has friends, each of us have neighbours, each of us have, um, you know, workmates, we can all be involved in having those debates and discussions with them and using the material and trying to get to people. It's not perfect yet. There's a lot still to come, but let's just do it. And, and we don't need permission to do that. That's the other thing in Scotland. Quite often in Scotland, we all go around believing we need to be, have permission to do things. You don't need permission to do anything. Just start. I mean, I think that's a very good point because uh, it seems to me what the next referendum will probably be one that lost on the, the people in the middle, as it were. Uh, if I can call them that, who decide uh, for whatever reason to move into the, the yes voting area and, and they will determine the outcome. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, besides this, history is any guide. It, when you talk about separatists, independence, secessionist movements, it's roughly a 30%, 30%, 30%. And the key, I guess, is to move some of the 30% in the middle yeah. towards the 30% who want constitutional change. We, and we do know, you know, some of the things that they think. You know, uh, quite a lot of people like the idea of independence, but think it's too expensive. It's like, you know, having a nicer car or something. We can't presently afford it at this stage. Yeah. Um, you know, so we need to change that view and say it's actually essential to move on to the next stage. On COVID recovery, it's not a, it's not, you know, recovery and then a referendum. It is recovery because we've had a referendum and we can apply yeah. the choices we've got. Those are all arguments we need to have. I mean, wouldn't a unionist though say, Mike, you're doing all this work, but otherwise you're saying, or your first minister is saying, we're not going to be campaigning for independence referendum during a pandemic. But here you are pretty much doing exactly that. No, I mean, we're not saying the referendum will be on such and such a date, but the party, you know, I mean, when does the party not 
campaign for independence. I mean, this is ludicrous. You know, you would say, sorry, we're going to give it up, just as, you know, I was about to say they were probably giving up socialism, but they did that long ago. <laughs> you know, it, it is, you know, giving up those things. People know perfectly well, we want to achieve independence. The argument of achieving it and, and recovering from COVID with a referendum and with independence is very, is very cogent, very important. What we are seeing governmentally is the resources of government are presently entirely absorbed in the in the COVID process and in the governmental process, and how you begin to move those into campaigning for independence mm. is or providing information for independence is another point. Yeah, you you talked earlier about um, um, uh, Mr. McPherson. Sir, sorry, sir. Um, Andrew is it Andrew McPherson? Alistair. Oh, McPherson? Um, I can't remember his name. Um, can't remember yeah. his name. Uh, who who uh, who who was head of the civil service during uh, 2014. Head of the right. Sorry? Nick, Nick McPherson. Nick, of course, Nicholas. You know, yeah. So Nicholas McPherson. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, interesting example of somebody who has moved over. Um, what, what was your assessment of, because a lot of people are concerned about this, maybe because they don't understand how the civil service works, uh, because they look at the awards that civil servants received yeah. at that time, and they find that distasteful. Um, it, what has your experience been regarding the impartiality of the civil service? It's pretty strong. I mean, you know, Nick McPherson hasn't become a rabid, you know, nap by the way, you know, the idea that you would attack somebody who is willing to sit on a group mm. to discuss Scotland's economy, it seems bizarre. I mean, we had the um, Standing Council on Europe, you know, when I was dealing mm. with Brexit. And there were people on the, like John Kerr, Lord Kerr, you know, John Kerr is not a gnat by any manner of means, a member of the House of Lords. Actually, he was immensely helpful you know, and, and talked about you know, his experience was very helpful to us. There were a whole range of others who were not gnats, but were useful to yeah. us. And we need to recognise you know, that that purity of view is, 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 is going to deprive us of what we need. The civil service is there to provide ministers with support, with backup, with research uh, options, advice, and it is neutral. So it will move on to the next government and should move on to the next government. But its job is to deliver the policies of the existing government. And the policy of the Scottish National Party government in Scotland is independence. And that is absolutely clear. And that is mainstream civil service. And anybody who tries to deny that is denying the, the role of the civil service. Um, and, and then, you know, like anything, there are good and bad civil servants. But there's <laughs> people of great intelligence, great ability, who are able to allow you to see things in a different way and who can work very hard to help you to get things as long as, and this is really important, the minister has a clear view of what they wish to achieve um, and is able then to achieve that by talking with and listening to other people. That's yeah. really important. And you know, the, the, the work they did in 2014 was really important. You also do get some who are very enthusiastic about it, who see how it opens the door to all sorts mm. of other things that they want to do. You were quoting my quote of John Adams, um, you know, it is also that. It is building government anew. And what mm. a challenge to a civil service to do that yeah. and to have something new. No wonder some are really, really, really excited. Mm. Uh, and are, are there really silos within the civil service, i.e., for example, uh, how likely or unlikely is it that a civil servant in Scotland who owes his her or her final career moves uh, to the British, head of the British civil service, uh, might share information uh, across the civil service. It well, might be highly... It's always feasible and possible, but I always work on the basis that I'm not doing anything that 
you know, anybody else doesn't, they can know about. I, I, I think you can over worry about those things. It's the old, you know, um, uh, MI5 thing, you know, if you believe there's a mole, you spend your whole time looking for a mole and you don't do anything else. I think you just have to accept, look, we're doing our best with these people. There will be some people you can work with, some pe people you can't work with. I wouldn't over worry about it. Yeah. Can I, can I, sorry, can I, can I just, can I just break uh, this a little bit? I noticed a question about, uh, from Zag Flash, which Why? I, Does I, Mike I, accept that the debate has been stalled until the SNP can supply clarity on their position on the currency, pensions, borders, and Europe? No, absolutely, definitively not, right? And I mean, let me go through those from the reverse position. Europe, the intention is an independent Scotland will become part, a member of the EU. That is the policy intention. No dubiety there, I would have thought. On borders, you know, I've repeatedly said that what we need to do is to have a, a dispensation borders that allows a people border, and that is um, the, uh, the common travel area. And on goods borders, that will be determined by the relationship with the EU and the rest of the, and, and the rest of the UK at independence. I think it will mature from where it is now, uh, and some work is required on that, but I don't think it's lack of clarity. Pensions are guaranteed. No ifs, no buts. We probably need to provide more examples of that, but that was the same as in 2014. And on currency, I've indicated there is a policy, but it's quite right to review it where we are at the moment. But why that should stall us from talking to our friends, neighbours and others about the necessity of independence, I do not understand. Absolutely don't understand. I've been arguing for independence since I joined the SNP. We had none of this. And indeed, we're 5% of the polls at various stages, you know? So, you know, if you're standing back because of some fear that you've got that you don't know the facts, try and find out the facts, but also just work on your gut instinct, you know, and go and talk to people. Yeah, sounds good advice. Anita King's asking a question here, which we never got around to, and I apologise, Anita, because we're almost running out of time. Uh, what are Mike's thoughts on the GRA and the HCB and how they weren't voted on at conference? Well, if we were to start now at you know nine minutes to go in GRA, we'd be here all, all night. I'm not going to get involved. And Anita, I'm not going to involved for the very simple reason that A, I have supported the Scottish Government's position. Secondly, I think the Scottish Government's position has been misrepresented consistently. There is no intention, nor could we change the Equalities Act, nor should we change the Equalities Act. But it is an interesting and important, very important example of how a policy difference has been erected into a profound difference between you know, Alaba and, and the SNP, for example, which has really poisoned relations. I have no desire to fall out with anybody over GRA, and I've refused to do so, because I, I do not believe that the proposals being made are proposals that will severely or, or, or fundamentally challenge the rights of women, and nor should they, nor would I support that. But we have seen such, such misrepresentation on this that it has been impossible to have a reasonable debate and, 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 and um, conversation about it. And we also see that some of the attitudes, for example, that existed towards Stonewall, and now we see a whole range of issues described as woke issues which are being attacked by others. It's become a pretty toxic soup. So I just want to say to people, and I've been attacked for this too, I, I do not believe that any of the proposals that are coming from the SNP are designed to or will undermine the rights of women as others believe. And I do not, 
I would not support that undermining were it to take place. Yeah. But the moment you know, I take up a position on one side or the other, all hell breaks loose and I'm not prepared to do so. So that's where I lie. Well, I mean, I, I suspect it's not going to go away. Uh, it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. Uh, no, it's not going to go away, but we have to have a reasonable and rational discussion about it. And, and the trouble is that that's presently become impossible. Yeah. Uh, are you saying perhaps there are no platforms that can be used to achieve that? Well, I think there are. I think there's an emerging, slowly emerging consensus of well about one thing. We have to find a rational solution that will find some way of unifying two very different points yeah. of view. I'll yeah. give you an example, John. I I was asked to chair Hustings during this candidate selection um, last year, um, and it was entirely the, the difficulty of holding it was entirely because one part of the constituency was determined that the issue of GRA should, should essentially be definitive in how they selected their candidate. Uh, and it seemed to me, whilst it was exceptionally important, when we got to that stage, the other part of the constituency would never accept it. And yeah, the wisest yeah. thing I got during that process was somebody who said, the only question I, asked, I want to ask is not what the situation is, but how we heal the situation. And that is the question we must now address ourselves to. How do we actually heal the situation so it does not go on? But then it's gone further and we've gone into this, you know, this position that anybody, you know, the NEC has been attacked for being woke, you know, the SNP NEC. I, I mean, I think I was last on the NEC in 2003. I actually think the SNP NEC at the present moment is more mature, more thoughtful, more careful than what I saw 20 years ago. Uh, you know, if that's woke, good, because that's how they do it. And they think about the implications of these things. But then I read other stuff, which is utterly extraordinary in the attacks upon it. So I want to find a way of healing this. And, and indeed, as party president, to wind all the way back to where we started, as party president, I think one of my roles is to try and do so. And that is not to make things worse, but to try and find resolutions for, for difficult situations. I mean, that, that's, that sounds very creditable. I mean, how would you plan to go about that then? Well, on, on these issues, I think it's probably a refusing to take a position and secondly, having this type of conversation saying in detail with, with people on both sides and saying, where can we find common ground? Where can we find and, and can we also accept that what is being said, one of the other is not true? You know, the, you know, the SNP is not intending to do X, Y and Z. I mean, we saw this during the passage of the hate crime bill in, in the Scottish Parliament, mm. where you know, there, was, there were as many women who wanted the hate crime bill to pass as those who wished to amend it in a certain way. And, and we need to recognize that. You know, it is not exclusive one person on one side, one person on the other side. And therefore, how do we get that understanding across? Mm. Uh, maybe, one, maybe one way to approach it, uh, if I might offer a suggestion, is that... If, if you look at other countries, they have the same issues. They have the same, you know, it's not as if Scotland is unique in this sense of, hey, you're having yeah. great uh, controversy. But if you look elsewhere, you see, well, it's happening. Well, it's, and, and, and it, it was resolved elsewhere. Sorry, I, 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 time. I just wanted to say to Gavin Roberts, I never believed in a neoliberal future for Scotland. <laughs> um, and a... Uh, you know, and if he goes and reads page five of the introduction of the book, and I keep saying this, he will understand what the book is about. And he sometimes, seemed, if he has read the book, 
he has managed not to read the part which says, this is a debate between two people with different opinions, and we're not attributing the opinions, but we don't hold all of them. Uh, you know, fine, just read the, read the book. Yeah. The, the, the reason I don't ask some of the questions is, is because, <laughs> as I explained well, at the beginning. I just, I just I, I had asked me last week, and I, I just want to make it clear that, you know, when I read a book, I try to read from page one onwards. Those who, in some sense, miss part of it, I need to remind yeah. them, thank you for buying the book. Uh -huh. You did. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would commend another book since we're talking about books. It's called The Constitution for Scotland uh, by Elliot. And you are, the point, is, the point is well made, and I'm quite sure that we are not very distant on it. It's only a matter Good. of time. Excellent, excellent. Well, when there's a citizens' assembly, it could, it could certainly, uh, I suspect, find uh, Elliot's input helpful. Um, Mike, we're just about through. Uh, where would you like to see yourself in this new role in a year's time? What would you regard as being a success? I hope, I hope we'll be even closer to the referendum. Um, I, you know, bizarrely, and, and, and I suppose I should remind people of this, I did decide to retire this year. <laughs> I retired from the parliament and I retired as a minister. Um, I still have a, an engagement with Glasgow University. Um, you know, I'm still employed by them for a period of time and, and that's fine. But I, I, I hope that the system that we're setting up, the flow of information, things are happening, are going well. I think we're, we'll be closer to the referendum, and I hope to be contributing to that. But I also hope to be, you know, perhaps treating as serious, perhaps even more seriously than I am now, the issue of retirement and um, perhaps doing slightly less. Well, I know, speaking for myself, we'd love to have you back, maybe in a year's time, if you're willing, uh, to, to talk about these things and see how the discussions and the agreements or the arguments have moved along. Because I feel that, uh, you know, we've been fairly robust tonight. Um, but I think that's important because otherwise you just don't get to the issues. If everyone uh, pussyfoots around, I'm afraid, you know, nothing much is greatly achieved. And it's a great credit to you, A, that you've come on, and B, uh, as you say, you're retired. You know, this is, this is, this is something you're doing for, for the country. And uh, I think people respect, I know people respect that. And, and I, I can say, you know, a big, big thank you to you. Uh, we're almost through. Uh, it only remains for me to say uh, a big thank you to all of you for uh, watching tonight. Uh, and also to remind you of the formidable list of guests lined up for future shows. Uh, this is the place for the big hitters that you've seen tonight. You can go to Indy Live, go to the What's On Guide. You'll see all of the information there at whatsonguide.scot. We are back next week at the same time with another special guest, Times columnist Hugh Rifkin. Uh, he'll be joining us. He's a self-declared unionist. Uh, and, oh, yes, look out for Elliot Wilmer's constitution column in the Sunday National this weekend. He'll be describing the now despotic nature of the UK, which we touched upon earlier. And you'll find the constitution column, by the way, in the seven-day supplement near the back. If you like it, tell the editor. Very importantly, please, do support India Live. It's a plethora. There's a cornucopia of offerings out there. Take full advantage. If you liked the TNT show, uh, let us know. If you didn't, let us know. And thanks again. Good night. Big thank you. Thank you. Mike Russell. And remember, it's been a great day for British democracy. <laughs>